Let's pray. Lord, the worship team did their job. They surrendered themselves to you and you've moved so powerfully. But I thank you that it's all on your spirit. So I pray your spirit would continue to move to open our hearts and lead us into new understandings, a new thirst, a new hunger, a new delight in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have any gamers here this morning? People that are into video games? I didn't get that much into them because I grew up in the age of Pong and it got a little boring after 15 minutes. But what I understand is so exciting for gamers today is the whole notion of levels. That you start out playing and you accomplish a certain thing and you get into another level and then you accomplish another one and, and it's another level. So you keep playing different games. That's why they can go on so long. Reading a little bit about him, one social media critic said he will never forget when he reached the ninth dungeon in The Legend of Zelda. He said, the music still gives me the chills. Apparently, there's a special form of music that comes out for him. It was like, I made it. Uh, one reviewer said with Super Mario Kart that you've never really played Super Mario Kart till you get to the Rainbow Road. That's the quintessential part of that game. A lot of fans from Halo will say you haven't really played Halo until you've been to the library. And that's their favorite section. Now, I don't know anything about those games. If they're inappropriate parents, I'm not endorsing them. I want to look at the concept of levels where a lot of players start out in the easy stuff, fewer get into the next level, a few really go on to the further level, and then others go to the top level. What if the same thing is true in Christian experience? That there are some that hang out in the shallows, they get their toes wet, they see a few seashells, but there's a certain group of Christians that say, no, I want to go dive into the deeps. I don't want a shallow faith. I want to find out what it's like to really dive and understand the things of God. Does it sound elitist to talk about levels of Christian experience? It might. But what if it's biblical? What if it's God's invitation for you this morning saying there is a level of faith, there is an experience in Christ that maybe you never dreamed about and there are very practical ways to get there. If you want to leave the shallows and dive deep, understanding the will of God, as Paul will tell us in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, is the way to get there. We're continuing in our series, discovering the will of God, and this morning we're going to look at God's will as it unlocks the deepest levels of our faith. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. You can open up your Bibles. It's going to be on the screen behind me if you don't. Paul begins with this, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now there is something so urgent to this, something so glorious to this that Paul says, we continually, we will not stop until God grants you this deeper level access, the fullness, the understanding of the knowledge of his will. He goes, I want you to deep dive to understand Christianity is fullest. Notice he says that we ask God continually to fill you. This is cause I don't want you to be content with drip by drip kind of, I think that's God's will or that's the shadow of God's will. That smells a little bit like God's will. Paul says, no, I want you Colossians to dive deep. I want you to bathe in the ocean of God's will. Don't be content with the shallow surface experience. Now, this is so key. 
If Paul says, we have to keep asking God for you to get this, we're not going to stop until God grants you that, doesn't it mean by definition some people don't get there? They're content to stay in the shallows. They know the rudimentary parts of the faith, but they never go the deep dive. They stop short. They're, in a romantic sense, the ones despised by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And anybody in their 20s and 30s, you got to help me here. I'm going to totally embarrass myself. You know these lyrics. When Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper sing, we crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're, come on, far from the shallows now. You're leaving me hanging in the shallows. God, it works for you too, okay? It doesn't work for a pastor. All right. But what if... What if, you know, I've never gotten to lead worship, but I've now just led Lady Gaga. What does that tell you? What if what's true for romance, two lovers say, we don't want to be in the shallows. What's true for gamers, we don't want to play the easy levels. What if Paul's saying to the Colossians, I want you to have the fullness of the experience of the Christian life. Where does it start? It begins, it always begins in Christianity. It always begins with God. Paul says this, you get this through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. It always begins with God's initiation. Jesus talks about this in Mark 4.11. He says this, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seen, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. That there are some aspects of God's revelation, his overall will, his purpose in sending Christ, all the things of God, they can only be understood by God's divine revelation to us. Calvin described this as omni ingenio altiora, beyond the reach of all genius. He says it doesn't matter how an incredible scholastic you are, how intelligent you are, this can only come from the gift of God. Now, look, Christianity is a rational system that in one sense can be understood by children. But Paul's talking about an experience where all of God's ways, the reason he had to send his son, the beauty of him sending his son, the power of the Holy Spirit, the wonder of the Trinity, all of those things, they're appreciated and our hearts are enlightened by them and energized by them when God's Spirit reveals them to us. But we can't understand it without God doing that. My older, oldest brother and my son both have MBAs and during one vacation they were just talking shop. And I don't think of myself as an idiot. I mean, you might. I, I mean, I don't think of myself. And I didn't understand half of what they were saying. They were using acronyms and business speak. I, I just, I didn't get most of it. They had the insider knowledge. They had that MBA training. They knew the vocabulary. Earlier this week for another project, I was listening to a podcast with four guys seeking sexual purity in recovery. And one of them said, yeah, and you know, I had to make my calls because I was going into a mall and we all know how triggering going into a mall are. And they go, oh yeah, and uh-huh. And I'm like, wait, what? A mall is triggering? I mean, it's, it's stores, it's, it's, it's in public. But there was something where they all got it. Oh yeah, yeah. They have that insider knowledge, whether it's this experience or that sport or that occupation, there's this insider knowledge that when you're in it, boy, you get it. And others from outside, 
They just don't see it. And this is Paul to the Colossians. I want you to have insider knowledge. I want you to get in there and really experience it. Now, I'll be honest. I will never hear the music entering the ninth dungeon of the legend of Zelda. I don't know what the library in Halo looks like. I'm not going to learn the game. I'm not going to do the work. I'm not going to put in the hours to experience that. And I can die saying I've never experienced that. I don't want to die not experiencing what Paul's talking about here. I don't want to die not knowing the deeper things of the Lord. And I ask, why doesn't everybody want this? When Paul says it's available, I said, why aren't we lining up? And and here's the reason. This will of God that Paul talks about, that's so all-consuming, that's so glorious, it stakes a claim on your life. It's not just something you think or something you know. It impacts the way you live. Let's go back to the passage, Colossians 1.9. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Notice this, so that. Say that with me, so that. Here's the purpose. You may live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, and grow in the knowledge of God. So it's... These four things, Paul says, that we live a life worthy of the Lord, please God in every way, bear fruit in every good work, and grow in the knowledge of That's why God gives us knowledge of his will. What we see here is that God's will isn't specific direction for what we often pursue about God's will. Should I marry him or should I marry him? Should I stay single? Should I move to Texas or, or Tennessee? Should I take this job or that job? Should we adopt? Should we have more kids? All of those things, I'm not convinced. This is an entirely different sermon. I'm not convinced that there's one perfect will of God for a lot of those questions. But that's where we're obsessed. But often, we don't have concern for the things that God says does reveal God's will. Because you know what? I can live a life worthy of God, please Him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, and grow in the knowledge of God, whether I live in Texas or Tennessee, whether I'm married, widowed, divorced, or single, whether I work for Mobile Oil or Mitsubishi, all of those things I can still do. These things that Paul says, this we know for certain is God's deepest will for you. So what this tells me, if I want this deeper level experience, I have to realize I pay way too much attention to the things the Bible says. That's not where God's will is found. And way too little attention to the will of God being living a life worthy of God, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Since we know those are the things that represent the will of God, let's look at each of them in turn. First, Paul says we're called to live a life worthy of the Lord. When I come on a passage like this, I just sigh because this is where I feel like I am swimming upstream against so much of the church because I see it today where we are obsessed with making people feel okay in their sins without calling them out of their sins. I want to make it clear, if you don't know the Lord at all, if you've committed the worst sin of your life this morning, you're in a good place, God will invite you in. And when he invites you in, he will call you out of that sin. If you read the words of Jesus, if you read the writings of Paul or Peter, or James, or John, literally 
every New Testament writer in context, in total, and don't proof text, they all teach grace and obedience. Not just grace. Grace is the only way to salvation, but obedience follows grace. If you see somebody that only knows the word grace, be aware. If somebody only talks about obedience without grace, be aware. The Bible teaches both. And that's what Paul is saying to the Colossians here. We're to live lives worthy of the Lord. This is a common theme throughout the New Testament. Let's take a tour. Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, live a life Worthy of the calling you've received. You hear Paul's passion. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. You know, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. Encouraging, comforting, and what? Urging you to live lives worthy of God. If we would have had the honor of being discipled by the apostle Paul himself, what would he have said? I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling that God has given you. See, we confuse salvation with discipleship. None of us are worthy for salvation. That's God's gift. But in response to salvation, we're called to live a life worthy of that salvation that we've received. Here's why this is so important. I don't think it's a minor thing. The focus on being worthy calls us. This is why it helps us understand the will of God. The focus on living lives worthy of God calls us to choose the life that most glorifies God. Not the life that pleases us, not the most comfortable life. The will of God is found in understanding what is worthy of the calling of God. Jesus talks about this, Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me, read the next words with me, is not worthy of me. A grandmother got this in 1960. Four young, uh, I mean tiny, five, six-year-old black girls were chosen to segregate the McDonough School in New Orleans. Now, this is before I was born, but these four girls, I got a picture up here, the first one. This picture actually isn't Tessie. That's Ruby Bridges, one of her classmates. They had to be escorted every day with federal marshals, because that looks like a nice picture. Look at the next one. That's what it was more like more often. It was just chaos. People would yell things. They would scream things. It was terrible. So 1960 bleeds over into 1961. Tessie, she's a six-year-old girl. She's had enough of it. She goes home to her grandma and says, Grandma, I don't want to go back. They hate me. They say mean things. I, I don't want to be there. Tessie's grandmother solid, committed believer. And she opens up her Bible to her six-year-old daughter and talks about living a life worthy of the Lord. A bee comes by and she stuns the bee, not to kill it, she just stuns it. She picks it up and she throws it outside and it flies away. And she uses that as a lesson. Here's what she, this grandmother told her granddaughter. You see, my child, you have to help the good Lord with his world. He put us here and he calls us to help him out. That bee doesn't belong here. It belongs out there. You belong in the McDonough school. And there will be a day when everyone knows that, even those poor folks, Lord, I pray for them. 
Those poor, poor folks who are out there shouting their heads off at you. You're one of the Lord's people. He put his hand on you. He's given a call to you, a call to service in his name. Listen to this. We're the lucky ones to be called. And we've got to prove we can do what the Lord wants, that we're up to it. I, I became a grandfather a year ago. I can't foresee any opportunity where I'm in charge of my granddaughter. But I could just imagine in four years if she came up to me, Papa Gary, I don't want to go to that school. They make fun of me. They laugh at me. Some people turn, pull my hair. I'm like, Anna, you're not going back to that school. I'm not going to let you. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of it. Because I'm not thinking of calling a six-year-old to live in a life worthy of the Lord. I'm thinking about her comfort. But here's why this grandmother had such a depth of experience that I often lack. Here's how her six-year-old granddaughter responded. If I can help the good Lord and do a good job, then it'll all be okay. And I won't be wasting my time. The will of God isn't found in our comfort. It's found in what is a life worthy of the Lord. The second thing that Paul says is, found in pleasing him in every way. And this is good news. This makes life so much simpler. You weren't put on this earth to please your parents, to please your kids. You weren't even put on this earth to please your spouse. You're called to please one person, the heavenly father who created you. And we are ripped apart by competing loyalties. If you're in the will of God, there's no competition. God rules all the time. And just like this is a common theme about living a life worthy of the Lord, this is a common theme as well. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.11. 1 Thessalonians 4.11. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you, we urge you in the Lord Jesus, do this more and more. 2 Corinthians 5.9. We make it our goal to please him. Altogether, the cognate verb to please, referring to God, occurs 14 times in the New Testament. I've just read two. Paul gives us a third in Colossians. This is what the New Testament teaches, that we want to know the will of God. Our first question is, what pleases God? Look, this is so practical. It changed my marriage. You've seen this if you've read my books, where I was probably the most selfish man that ever got married it's all my expectations. Life changed for me. When God got through to me, Gary, you married my daughter. And I want you to treat her accordingly. And so instead of looking at each day of marriage about my expectations or my hopes, I end, even today, I end every day, Lord, have I pleased you today with how I've loved your daughter? For me, that's what defines the day. Am I pleasing you the way I'm loving your daughter. See, the attitude of Christians who walk in the shallows is to ignore God. And then they get into a rut. Well, God, what am I supposed to do? Why aren't you going to come through for me? The believer who wants to do a deep dive to really understand the ways of God every day, every day, throughout the day, their first question is, Lord, what will please you in this situation? That's the call to maturity. About seven years ago, my entire family came out from the Pacific Northwest to visit us in Houston. 
My dad was, I guess he would have been in his mid-80s at the time. Uh, he actually grew up in Houston, out in Muleshoe. Any of you been out there, way out west? That's where he actually grew up. I don't know if he had been to Houston. But I th- it was during Father's Day. I said, hey, Dad, I thought for Father's Day there's this great western store. It's kind of famous out here. We're going to take you out there. If you want to get a new hat, belt, boot, whatever you want. And his eyes lit up. My dad's eyes don't light up like that very often. I could tell, man, I, I nailed this one. I said, we're going to go in a few days. Well, the next day he wakes up. Gary, we're going to go today. I go, no, Dad, we're, it, it, it's a couple days. He goes, all right. Next day, wait, are we going today? I'm like, no, we, we said we would go Thursday. I was just surprised to see his eagerness. So the day came, we went to the store, and we all laughed because I've just never seen my dad do this. He bolts to the back of the store right where the hats are. The perfect saleswoman. She was wonderful. She knew exactly what he's asking. He goes, I want an LBJ hat. She takes him to the Stetson section. She gets the LBJ hat. Now, my dad already had one. It had like a little hole in it or something, and he was so eager to replace it. He had lived with it like that for years. Can I just say, my dad could afford a hundred of those hats without even noticing it. But he's the kind of dad who just isn't going to do that for himself. I grew up with a dad who would wear his shoes two years too long so that I could have my running shoes and my track spikes and my baseball cleats. That's what he was like. And he was so thrilled that day later on wearing that new LBJ hat. He called it one of his best Father's Days ever because he had us all there. The joy it gave me that I could please a father who had given me so much and sacrificed me throughout his life. And that's how a mature Christian feels about wanting to please our Heavenly Father. Look, if you're in your teens and 20s, it's natural to ask, Do I have a good dad? Do do I have a good mom? If you get messed up and go into counseling, one of the first questions they're going to ask, tell me about your mom, tell me about your dad. As parents, we know we're just going to take a hit. That's just the way it is, right? You know when you become an adult? You become an adult when you start asking, am I a good son? Am I a good daughter? With our parents? And with our God. As baby Christians, it's gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, God. The mature Christian wakes up, God, how do I please you today? You've given me so much. I want to live a life that pleases you. The third thing Paul says, bear fruit in every good work. God's will is found not just in us being blessed by God, but taking those blessings and finding ways to bless others. I wrote a blog post on this a couple weeks ago. I think it was called something like The Necessity and Blessing of Good Works, which I knew would tick some people off. I've got biblical warrant here. But Hannah, who responded to the blog, said something. I just thought it was great. I'm just going to quote her. This was a comment on the blog. Here's what she said. I recently joined a dating site. However, the most joy I've gotten out of it so far hasn't come from talking to guys. It's been coming from encouraging other girls. For instance, I was reading through another girl's profile just out of curiosity, and I thought she seemed like an awesome person. So I sent her a message where I told her so and wished her good luck in a search for a husband. She was very happy I reached out, and it brought me so much joy to be able to bless someone in such a simple way. It also made me rue all the times I've withheld encouragement because of jealousy or feelings of inferiority. It's an interesting principle. You usually bless others because you feel like you have enough yourself. 
But blessing others will usually make you richer in some way. See, even in an act where you were definitely trying to get something, she's trying to get her some husband, right? And she's writing to a woman that actually might be a competitor. But you know what? She says, I want to do a good work. You're a good person. I'm encouraging. This is a scary time. And she felt blessed. And like those other two points all throughout Scripture, doing good works all throughout Scripture. In Titus, we're told that we are to devote ourselves to good works. Titus 3.14. In Ephesians 2.10, we're told that we were created to do good works. We're created to do good works and we're to devote ourselves to good works. Now, these good works have nothing to do with salvation and they have everything to do with salvation. Have nothing to do with salvation and everything to do with salvation. If you are new to the faith, new in your understanding, thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Good works don't save you. You can't overcome your past sins by doing good works. We are saved by the finished, completed work, perfect work of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with our salvation. The reason it has everything to do with our salvation is if we are truly saved, we're devoted to good works. We're passionate about good works. We want to pursue good works. That's why I have a motto now of one a day. It might seem legalistic, but I love it. Because I figured if I was created to do good works, if I'm to be devoted to doing good works every day, it's not a complete day if I haven't found one good work to do. See, Christians in the shallows focus on not sinning. Christians on the deep dive focus on doing good works. And it's not about us. It is so not about us. It gives glory to God. Another way to describe good works is this. They're expressions of divine power pointing to the ongoing work of the risen and ascended Christ. Show the world that Christ is still alive, still working through his church. You see that woman? She used to gossip until her tongue turned blue. And today she spends 10 hours a week studying her Bible. So on the weekend she could lead these incredible studies, helping people understand the mysteries of Christ. You see that 28-year-old young man, before COVID-19, every Monday afternoon, he would visit his grandmother in a nursing home. She was in her late 80s. She didn't have any other grandchildren. His buddies are off playing golf. They're playing games. They're going out for pizza. But he says, you know what? My grandmother is lonely. She needs me. He wants to do that every Monday. See, so many think of Christianity as they have to stop doing bad things. It broke my heart one time, sharing my faith with a young woman. She said, why do I want to become a Christian? All they want me to do is throw away my good music and wear ugly clothes. And Paul says it's not about stopping doing bad things, that Christianity is to start doing good things. What's the will of God for you? Bless as many people as you can, as often as you can. Now then, the fourth point, to grow in the knowledge of God. Here's how you know you're living in the deeper dimensions of Christianity. Do you know God better today than you did last year? Do you know the things of God? Do you love the things of God more dearly than you did five years ago? Or is your knowledge of God limited to, look, Jesus was God, died for me on the cross, rose from the dead, forgave my sins so I can go to heaven? That's like a baby breathing. You have little stubby baby toes, little stubby baby fingers. 
a high point in my life, I got to go to South Africa. This was years ago. They had invited me out. They'd really like sacred pathways. They'd created a chapel in Johannesburg to express different parts of the pathways. And they wanted me to come back. And when we were done, the last session with the pastors, Gary, we've got to have you come back. He goes, if you come back, we're going to take you on a real safari. I said, well, you took me and my son on a safari this time. He goes, oh, no, no. That's the tourist safari. That's convenient. We're going to take you on a real safari. We're going to go into the bush, the things the tourists never see. And Paul's telling the Colossians, I want you to do a real safari. Not the tourist safari, not the shallows. I want you to go to places where so few people see. And it begins and ends with the knowledge of God and his will. Look at this. Let's put it up. Verses 9 and 10. Look at how this is. It begins with the knowledge of his will. And then it ends with this growing in the knowledge of his will. It's a spiral. God gives you a glimpse of his will. And you've got to respond. You do these four things and you grow deeper in the will and knowledge of God. It takes you further and further and further down, down, down into the exciting places and you become more mature. Obedience and practice breed additional understanding. Disobedience and apathy breed confusion. N.T. Wright puts it this way, understanding will fuel holiness Holiness will deepen understanding. Here's how it works out practically. I was doing a sacred search conference, another state, not here. A woman came up to me. She wanted to know God's will in her situation. She was in her late 20s, felt like she was getting really old, seemed very young to me, but not to her. She's dating a guy who was, I think, four or five years younger, wanted to know if that was okay. I'm like, your age, that doesn't really matter. All. It's not a big deal. But that wasn't really the issue. She goes, oh, and yeah, he was, he was divorced. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, he, he just got divorced. It's like within a year or so. I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, they were high school sweethearts. And he just said she was really mature. In the first year and a half, it was really difficult. And they just, he just decided he was going to leave us. And so he filed. Yeah. Was she unfaithful? She said, no. I go, do you really want my answer? She goes, yeah. Because you're not going to like it. She goes, okay. I, I said, you've got to urge him to be reconciled to his wife. If you get married young, the first, first year of marriage is going to be difficult for anybody. If you're young and marry somebody immature, it's going to be really difficult. But, but, but it's, marriage isn't an oops. I, I go... Are you going to live a life worthy of God? You're, I know you're infatuated and I know it's strong, but is this worthy of God to be part of a marriage breaking up? I tell you, that young woman is very likely pleading with God to send her husband back. Her world has been torn apart. Do you want to be someone drawing him further away? Do, do you want to please God in this or do you want to please yourself because your feelings are so strong? I said, you could do a good work of helping to restore a marriage here? Or do you want to build your marital happiness on another woman's marital misery? A woman that God sees as his daughter who has wept with her as she's felt her pain. And then I said this, here's the deal. You wouldn't have asked me if there wasn't some check in your spirit that God was saying, this isn't quite right. It's not about age, you know that. This goes deeper than that. 
Now, here's what's going to happen in her life. Another state, I don't know. Never hear from her again, I'm sure. She's going to take that knowledge of God and she's going to decide, I want to live a life worthy of God. I want to please him, not myself. I want to do a good work. And if she does, she's going to grow deeper. If you can deny an infatuation, there's very few things in life you can't deny. She's going to be mature. She's going to know God. She's going to delight in God. Or she's going to decide, I'm going to please myself. I want this. And she's going to cement herself where she is in her selfish immaturity. Here's the thing I found. What God's will for me now is for me now is what my will is for me now. I bet it's your will as well. Do you want to die? And really, you missed this. You were in the shallows. And when you see Jesus face to face, you realize You didn't live a life to glorify him. You are ashamed to see Jesus. Rather than living a life worthy of the Lord, you're ashamed of how you've lived. And when he points out that virtually every decision you made, big or small, you pleased yourself. This is what I want. This is what makes me happy, not to please him. And good works... (laughs) You wanted others to do good things for you. You spent all your stuff on yourself, all your time on yourself. You weren't trying to bless others. And knowledge of God, you don't know God any better. You don't know his ways any better. You don't love him any more than you did six weeks after you became a Christian. I'm not saying it's going to keep you out of heaven. This isn't about salvation. This is about those that want to do a deep dive to leave the shallows. And so I pray for you, as Paul prayed for the Colossians, you will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you will live a life worthy of the Lord. You will please Him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, and continue to grow in the knowledge of God. It is the best life we can live.